Hello everybody, Mitch Michaels here. It's time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. Got a great show planned for you today. I'm going to talk with Ryan Souls, my good buddy, as we recap Super Bowl 52, the Philadelphia Eagles, first time Super Bowl champs. We break down the entire game, how the Eagles were able to do it, how Nick Foles and Doug Peterson lead them to the mountaintop. What went wrong for the Patriots? Tom Brady and Gronk's illustrious performances weren't enough. The defense had a terrible game. Malcolm Butler didn't play. We talk about that as well as the 2018 Hall of Fame class. And I chat with my good buddy Gunnar Ludwig. He works at the NFL Network, a place where I got to know him working there. We talk about how he got into sports growing up in the, in the Detroit area. He breaks down his Detroit fanhood. Talks a lot about the Lions. Matt Patricia is his new head coach. We talk that and more. It's the Money Mitch Effect. Ryan Souls and Gunnar Ludwig. Let's start the show. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, it's a bittersweet moment for a lot of us because the football season is over. Super Bowl 52 in the books. The Philadelphia Eagles win their first Super Bowl ever over the five-time champs, the New England Patriots. Ryan Soles back on the show. Ryan, thanks for coming in. And as an Eagles fan, congratulations. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, to be honest, I really never thought this day would come. Uh, I thought wow. I thought the Eagles got as close as they would get uh, in 2004 against this exact same team. And uh, I was proven otherwise, so I'm, I'm happy to say that I was wrong. Well, you know, it wasn't the exact same team on one side of the ball as I it think was the not. whole world learned last night. No, it was not. And, I mean, you know, I really – I don't think it was the same team on both sides of the ball. I think the Eagles really embraced being the underdog throughout the whole way, even before the playoffs, to be honest with you. And I think the Patriots, especially on defense, just look really uncharacteristic. So I think both teams – played a little out of themselves respectively I, I would say they certainly did the final score was 41 to 33 and just to put into perspective how exciting this game was Ryan they broke the overall uh, total yards in the Super Bowl in the third quarter collectively yeah. and I think they broke the total overall yards in an, in an NFL playoff game yeah, yeah, I, I think. Mean, <laughs> I, no, I think you're right with that too. There, we'd have to double check. The only other game I could think of there was like a Cardinals Packers game. Packers like, game. That's game, exactly yeah. where I was going. But to. I think they probably did, given how well the Pats threw the ball down the stretch and consistently how the Eagles were moving the ball. That was the first. There's a lot to talk about in this game, but the first thing I want to say is offensively, this was a dominant football game for two offenses. And there was, you know, the Patriots lose this game. They lose the Super Bowl when they don't even punt the ball. That's how well they were going. They were cooking at the end of that game. Um, but the Eagles start to finish, win this game, behind the arm and the, behind the arm of Nick Foles and the play calling and game plan of Doug Peterson. Those are the two guys I came away with thinking, wow, they really got the job done. Well, hats off to a lot of players on the Eagle, everybody in that locker room. But Foles to do what he did when everybody had just written him off as a journeyman and a career backup. And Doug Peterson to outcoach Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl. That might even be more improbable. I think both are just insanely crazy and just story tell, stories that will be told for a long time. And I think I'm not trying to undersell or discredit Nick Foles at all here, but I think to go what you said about Doug Peterson, the trick plays, 
the guts to make the calls that they they called and really the game plan all the rpos run pass options for nick Foles, really just allowed him to do what he did best and the nerves didn't get to him he made great throws and i think this was a great duo and I think if you don't draft Carson Wentz uh, with the second overall a couple years ago, I think you have some really interesting questions. But it's going to be crazy not to see uh, or to see how a quarterback coach combo can get better. Rather, yeah, oh, we're going to get to the whole next season in a second. But I do want to give Peterson tons of credit here because let's backtrack a little bit. The Falcons in the Super Bowl last year were too aggressive. They couldn't bleed the clock at all. The Jaguars last week against the Patriots. The Jaguars last week or two weeks ago in the AFC Championship game were aggressive early but not quite aggressive enough. Peterson made the decision last night that they were going to keep the pedal to the metal but they were still going to mix it up. So as great as Foles played, and and we're going to sing his praises even more in a little bit, they were still mixing in the run. They were using that great offensive line. They were calling trick plays. They weren't backing down. They knew they needed six or seven in, in, in big moments, like we saw them go for it at fourth and one uh, at the red zone. And going for it, Ryan, on fourth and one with five and a half minutes left is the gutsiest call that I still don't think enough people are talking about. That might have been the gutsiest call in Super Bowl history. That was the game on their own territory. Well, and you know what? It's crazy to me because I didn't think it was gutsy at all. I thought it was 100% no-brainer. You have to go for it because – if you punt the ball away, the game's over. Because well, a lot Patri- of coaches aren't going for it there, though. Yeah, you know that. Yeah. Oh, a lot of coaches aren't going for it. But I just, I think you, there's, there's plan to a game plan. I understand that. And then there's playing against your opponent. And I think Bill Belichick and Tom Brady were not going to let Philadelphia have the ball back. And if they did, it was not. It, it was going to be what Philadelphia gave. Tom Brady for that last drive and I give Tom Brady a better shot at driving down the field in which he almost did than I would give Nick Foles as great as he played just because of we've seen this movie before well, so I, yeah. I don't see it as gutsy because I thought you had to do it like that was the football game so and, and if you don't get it I think you, you lose you lose okay yeah I, I do think it might have been made an easier call but it yeah. still takes a lot of guts to go for oh, it on your side of the 50. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah absolutely. I mean, it's the Super Bowl, so I mean, it's huge, uh, 100%. But I think I, I, I think you just, I think you are absolutely go for it. The Foles looked amazing last night, and, and, and it, was, yeah. it, it was uncanny because it wasn't just the deep throws, which he had a lot. Alshon Jeffrey, Nelson Aguilar balling out. He hit Clement out of the backfield on a beautiful throw for a touchdown. He was spreading it out. He was... He was doing something that I think Brady doesn't get enough credit for, too, Ryan. He's not. Neither of these guys are the fastest quarterbacks, but they had great pocket mobility, and they're able to just shuffle left to right or right to left through adversity with 300-pound men chasing you. Buy yourself enough time and just throw a dime. I, Foles' pocket presence is the lasting memory I have from this unbelievable stretch run. I agree 100%, and pocket presence where it really counts in big games, and they, like you said, Doug Peterson went aggressive from the very beginning. And to come out and throw the ball 43 times a game with a quote-unquote backup, that's a lot of trust in, in your guy, and that's a lot of trust in your team, and it paid off. It did. Now, I will say the Patriots defense was offering little to no resistance in a lot of no. this time. And that's, I think, credit to the offensive line, too, for the Pets, for the uh, Eagles. Eagles, because yeah. 
I, lots of going to be made about Malcolm Butler. We're going to get into that in a sec too. But look, they got no pressure on Nick Foles. Their front seven got no pressure. I don't know what oh, difference they, Butler or any other cornerback could have made in this game if you're not getting a fingernail on the quarterback. Well, the Patriots are just getting blown off the line of scrimmage from the very beginning. I mean, the they were just the offensive line for the Eagles was just pounding New England and just literally just moving them back. And you just saw as Blunt and Ajayi just wore on them even more. Yeah. You know, it's just it became a time bomb at that point, and it really it it blew up with the bigger plays towards the end of the game. But I think Bill Belichick and Matt Patricia. I don't think they gave this the team the best chance to win uh, on defense. Uh, you know, we'll get to, to Butler. But I just think the way they were playing the Eagles, and, I, maybe, and maybe this just goes to when you play against a team who is aggressive and who doesn't mind throwing the football, your lack of, I don't know what you say, star power at the skill positions on defense maybe shows. Yeah. Uh, when, you, when you don't have a Brewski, when you don't have a Revis, when you don't have a Ty Law or a Lawyer Malloy, guys like that, maybe that counts because Gilmore didn't come up big. You know, and who McCordy is probably the best player on the defense. I don't think he came up big. Patrick Chung, Chung is usually always, yeah. he's the new Harrison. So, uh, you well, know, yeah, he, that's the he, thing. Harrison probably had the best game of anybody on the defense last yeah, night. Yeah, no, but I'm, years old. I'm talking, I'm talking Rodney Harrison. Oh, I like know. Chung, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Chung just shows up. Uh, but yeah, I know James Harrison probably did have the best game. I, you know, it's, I, I do want to give the Eagles credit because this is what they did against the Vikings and against the Falcons. Their line just took over the game. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it wasn't necessarily a start to finish dominant as it was last night, but. But they were the better team in the trenches, and eventually that wears on you. It um, does. But I, I do want to say one thing. They were, you know, as bad as the Patriots' defense played all night, their offense kept them in it, and they just needed, what, one play? They kept yeah. getting to third downs, and Foles would make plays. But if they make one play at about five or six instances of the game, they probably win the Super Bowl. I agree. And I, I think, to me, the turn of the game was in the third quarter – when the Patriots took five plays, and I think they went up 33-32, and then literally the Eagles got the ball back, and I think went 12 plays for 75 yards, just marched the football down the field and said, you're not doing to us what you do to everybody else. Right. It was great. (laughs) That was huge. Ryan Soul's Money Mitch effect. I think it's a good time, though, now to give credit to where credit's due, even in defeat. My God, the game that Tom Brady had was just unbelievable. Oh, man. I mean, there, there's no size of decline here. 505 He's declined. He's getting better. He's getting better. And the crazy thing is, and I don't know if you saw this, Mitch, but and to me, I don't think anybody's nobody's talking about this enough. Tom Brady missed a wide-open seam play to Gronk mm-hmm. that, to me, was absolutely a touchdown if, he, if Tom Brady doesn't miss it. And maybe they win the game with, a, with that play. Uh, and this was this was early in the game. Uh, I think it was like in the second quarter, but th- it was an absolute touchdown. And he just misses the throw, and I'm like, the as great as Tom Brady played, that's a Super Bowl throw. You got to make that throw. Uh, but wow, I mean, I, I I I'm picking mitts, obviously. Yeah, it's I, I know exactly the throw, and it's funny because we can point out the mistakes he made. It was probably that. Um, you really can't blame him on a strip sack, but it's probably that play yeah. and him trying to run before the half and not getting out of bounds. 
or right, throwing it away. Right. But that's yeah, funny and, and, you know, is that, and I'm not even going to blame. And I'm not even going to blame him for being a wide receiver because no. he's just not. The I mean, throw was not. the throw wasn't perfect, and he's not a receiver. So oh. it's kind of like it's funny. It's kind of like the Welker drop in the Super Bowl that you know got all that uh, attention. Where I, I don't think right. it was a perfect throw. And no, you know, it so, was. Um, but my God, I mean, the game he had, especially in the second half, when you knew. Like this is a different ending, but the story was relatively the same. We knew that when the Pats were down double digits, the the, the game's not over. They've played it's a not over. Team exactly, and, and he was making plays like the Eagle pass rush was getting close. Brady, I don't think he got sacked all night, other than that strip sack. Uh, no, fumble. Uh, it was it, they were dinking and dunking all down the field. All by the way, with Cooks out of the game, you know that mm-hmm. was a huge loss for that team. He's their deep threat. He gets KO'd by Malcolm Jenkins. They didn't have many receivers active. But it does help, Ryan. It does help when you can throw to 87 because Gronk was sensational, too. I mean, that that is that is clearly the best tight end I've ever seen, and I think that's ever played the position. I, I think you're right. And, you know, literally Gronk is a button on a controller, and they Stupid. just kept pressing. They just kept pressing it over and over and over yeah. again. Yeah, it was a great coaching adjustment, wasn't it, to just throw the yeah. guy to the unguardable <laughs> right. receiver right. tight end? Yeah, exactly. And I will say this, with the exception of Gronk, and as great as of a player receiver as Cooks is, you almost fear the Patriots when they become the wounded wolf because now you really have to account for everybody. Um, yeah. When they lose a player like Brandon Cooks, like you see it, and like how does Danny Amendola and James White get that wide open? Literally every game, and I get they, Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick do a great job of running plays to get these guys open. You can obviously, like, the pick plays and all this stuff they run to get these guys free releases. But it's ridiculous how free Amendola gets open. It's ridiculous to me. It is. I, and you got to give those guys individually yeah. credit for being and receivers. He's got a tough chin, too. He does. He was getting hit. I mean, these guys <laughs> yeah. take shots in that offense. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's you know, yeah. you didn't even ask Wes Walker. Um, but, no, it, it's it, it, Brady is just something. and. And if Gronk's making catches like the touchdown in his hands, like, you know, finesse plays, I mean, good luck. Um, Which is funny because I did not think the Eagles would win this Super Bowl. The Patriots offense played better than I thought they'd play, and it wasn't enough. So I think that's, I mean, if if that's the recipe to beat New England, I know people are saying maybe the dynasty's dead, but come on. We know know that they're going to be in it. They might not win another Super Bowl with Brady because you never know, but they're going to be close. We know that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I'll I'll get into some thoughts about the dynasty a little later, but I don't think it has anything to do with Tom Brady. I'll just say that. No, okay, no. I mean he, he. I mean he's got a couple years left at least. Right? Oh, for I mean, sure. The guy, the guy can <laughs> absolutely. But absolutely. the Eagle, but the Eagles, Ryan Souls, Marty Mitchell, win the Super Bowl, and it, it's it's a remarkable thing to do it with a backup quarterback. Who now the question becomes, what's next? You know, what's next for this team? Which. I should point out, too, to, to on the positive side of things, because there's clearly a lot of positives right now, a lot of players are locked up for the future. So they got their core in place. So the next four or five years, kind of like when Seattle won, are going to be exciting. Now, there's no guarantee they could win again, but the core is there. But what would you do, Ryan, with this quarterback conundrum? Because Foles did everything you could have ever asked of him. He got the number two pick coming back. We don't know if he's going to be ready for the start of the season. Teams are going to want Foles. There's a lot of quarterback needs in the NFL. How would you handle this situation? So, you know, Mitch, you know me is probably the most objective sport, like fan of any team, yeah. probably. I ever. say this as a compliment. You don't come off like a Philly fan. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. In saying that, 
if it's possible, and I, I'm not, and I probably should have read up on this a little bit before we talked, but I don't know how Foles' contract works, but I'd trade him. I would have traded him so today for the house. Here's here's the interesting thing, and I get that point, but counter to that would be $7 million contract. I think he's only got one year left, so the window okay. is very short to make that trade. And uh-huh. you don't know about Wentz. Because that injury happened, ACL injury happened, what, week 12, week 13? It did, right, right. I don't think but he's going to be ready in time to start the season. That's my I guess. agree, but does that matter? Like how And how much does that matter? Especially, and we just talked about it, with yeah, the court they matter, have around them, I, I think we, we got to look at the schedule. Yeah, I but, think it matters because he just won you a Super Bowl, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I would keep Foles because uh, at the end of the day, you can always do – the Jimmy Garoppolo method, which we've seen now, which is Wentz is back early, looks good. You can trade him at week five, week six. Teams will still be there for him. Yeah. Because I, I, it's a tough situation to be in, but Wentz looked so good beforehand, and, and maybe he was overvalued because the system now looks incredible, but there were still great plays being made by Carson Wentz, and you have a lot oh, absolutely. invested into him. Especially so, on third. That's it, the hugest thing for me. Yeah. Now, th- I think the ball is pretty much exclusively in Foles' court, right? Because I believe say, so. He could say, no, you know what? I'm, I am I believe in myself. He, he's still relatively young, I think 26 or so. He could uh-huh. say, you know what? I don't, 27, myself, I think. He could say, you know what? I'll play out my contract. I like it here. I'm not trying to create any drama, but I'm definitely not re-signing unless, you know. Right. Oh, he, there, so. he deserves, the way the quarterback market works now, he should get max dollars from somebody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he the Cleveland Browns should give him max dollars right now. Well, that's okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, Kirk Cousins is the other guy I was looking at too. Uh, okay, who you right. take? You taking Nick Foles or Kirk, Kirk Cousins right now? I'm taking Cousins, and I know there Foles no is way. Ball, but come on, man. Let's give credit to Doug Peterson. Cousins. Let's give yeah. credit to Doug Peterson, and let's not <laughs> let's. Let's talk about how the Redskins' offense was not really exactly the uh, fountain of youth for professional oh. football schemes. Oh, I mean that just that team. The offense isn't yeah. good. The team just as a whole is just not good. I just I, I and and we have a bigger sample side for Kirk. He's been top ten in passing, I think, for the last three years. Um, the defense hasn't been as good. He hasn't. We know now that this is more of a team game. Like Brady, Rogers, those guys are in another stratosphere. Mm-hmm. But after that, it does kind of blur the lines. Like the right system, the right success rate. Foles is still just two years removed from being in the Jeff Fisher hell, which didn't do anything for his career, almost ran him out of football. So I think right, it does but, depend on but, where you're at. But he was also just another year removed away from being 27-2 and two with a, a coach who had no business being there. <laughs> yeah. Big loser <laughs> of the weekend, Chip Kelly, I have to say. What about Chip Kelly? Big loser of the weekend, you know. Oh, really, you know, that. but big, big, like, actual loser of the weekend is Chip Kelly, but sentimental losers of the weekend, at least for me, are Shady and Deshaun. Okay. Because they I thought you were, thought no, you were they say Beckham and uh, Eli Manning for the Dirty no. Dancing commercial. <laughs> that, that, was, that was fantastic. That was my favorite commercial of the week or the uh, the evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But McCoy, I just, I wish McCoy and Deshaun weren't trading away for this. But you never know what happens. A lot of Eagles fans share the same sentiments. Mostly McCoy. He's the guy that everybody wishes could have been here. Yes, absolutely. Uh, But Deshaun, too. Uh, Last thing on this game. Why do you think the Patriots decided not to play Malcolm Butler in this game? Very interesting. So so I I have no speculation at all 
on why, but I, what I will say is, from what I've seen and heard, he found out right before yeah, the national yeah. anthem that he wasn't going to play. And I think to a player who's gotten almost 100% of the snaps this season, who's won, made play, made the play to win Super Bowl, won other Super Bowls, probably your t- top five best player, he deserves better than this. So even if Bill Belichick knew last week, the week before media week, that he didn't want to play Butler, do the man the courtesy of telling him that they're going to do something different. I think Malcolm Butler deserves better than that. And I think, you know, we always talk about Belichick and Tom Landry and, you know, other guys having these systems and there's cogs in the system. But I think there's at a certain point where the human aspect has to come into it. And I think just Butler as a, as a grown man who has seemed to have earned Belichick's trust in the big games or maybe not deserves more than this. So I don't know why, but I, that's just that's my opinion. So rumors are running rampant, but one of the things I've heard is that it was a perfect storm of sorts because you had him being sick earlier in the week, which they claim was nothing to do with it. But he did, you know, he was sick earlier in the week. I also heard he had a pretty bad week of practice. So okay. bad week of practice, that had happened, and there was something curfew-related, a minor curfew-related violation. That's another thing that's kind of making the tablets. But, you know, the, the courtesy of it, I understand. I understand that side of it, being yeah. straight up, being more right on top of things. But Ballers had a tumultuous year with the Pats. They thought they were going to trade him. He hasn't played that well this year. He hasn't graded out as well as in years past. So mm-hmm. I kind of agree with you in one sense that, yeah, you probably shouldn't have informed him if in, it is indeed true right beforehand. But on the other side, you are trying to win a game, and you're going to do it in the best interest of the team. And that's one of the things I think Belichick has that's put him in this position is he's not afraid to make shrewd decisions, whether that's <laughs> trade Royer Malloy a year before he, he starts to decline, uh, even back to cutting uh, Bernie Kosar in the Cleveland years. But at the end of the day, I don't know that it was handled the best way to not be a distraction. Now, whether or not that cost them the game, I, I don't think so, because as I mentioned, I think it was not getting pressure at all on Foles. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, it was bizarre. It was bizarre, and I think the biggest thing that was bizarre about it was you could have used that roster spot on another receiver. You know, they only had four active, so. Right, absolutely. They could have. You know, I hear you. But, yeah, I really want to know what's going on. I just think, yeah, and like like I say, if they weren't going to play him, that's one thing. Because I agree, you definitely do what's in the best interest of the team. But you don't tell that man before the national anthem that he's not going to play. And it was, and from what I saw, it wasn't that he wasn't going to start. It wasn't that he wasn't going to be playing at all. And to me, that's just, he's, he's earned better than that. Yeah. Well, it's a messy situation, but... At the end of the day, certain coaches that have won enough in this league get that leeway. Uh, one dynasty yeah. may be fading, another one may be starting, Ryan. But what were your final thoughts on this Super Bowl? That's um, all the Eagles host the Lombardi for the first time. You know, outside of being happy that the Eagles uh, finally got one, I think it was a really good sloppy football game, to be honest with you. I think this was kind of the first Super Bowl where we saw kind of the inception of the college offenses and not a lot of defense deciding the majority of the game. Now you had, you know, the, the strip fumble that was huge, but for the most part, 
these offenses just ran up and down the field, kind of Texas Tech style. And for the NFL, I think that's kind of a sloppy standard, but I think it's I think it's changed. So I think it was kind of cool to see, but it was different. But it was it was high flying, but I, it was sloppy also. Yeah, I think that was my favorite tweet I saw last night. Was Patriots are upset that they scored that they gained 600 yards of offense and lost at Texas Tech. It happens every other week. Right. Funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean I'm gonna remember it's. It's kind of cool to see a team, a defending champ like that, put up a fight and still lose, you know? Uh-huh, so I uh-huh. think the game and, and the fact that the Patriots just find themselves in some amazing Super Bowls was good. It's just cool to see a story like Nick Foles um, come back from, from being written off. And it's also cool to see a team, you know, not give up when their starting quarterback get, goes down with a season-ending injury. So Absolutely. Um, it was a good game. I'm, I'm sad football season's over, but... It was a fitting end. Uh, Ryan Soul's Money Mitch Effect. The last thing I wanted to talk about was the Hall of Fame class. The 2018 class was named Ryan, and it's a nice one. I got to say, it, it's one of the best ones we've seen in recent memory uh, with the following names inducted. Ray Lewis, Randy Moss, Brian Dawkins, Brian Erlacher, Terrell Owens, Bobby Bethard, Robert Brazil, and Jerry Kramer. Now, Bethard, Brazil, and Kramer... Apologies to everybody out there that's not historians of the game. They might not know who they are. Jerry Kramer was a senior committee member from the Packers, a great player. Uh, glad he's in his 80s. He was alive to see this moment. Bobby Beathard, a uh, executive, a general manager for a lot of years. He's a grandfather of C.J. Beathard. And Robert Brazil was a linebacker for the Oilers in the uh, the Houston Oilers in the 70s. So a great career for all three of those guys. But the five that we knew and loved growing up, Ryan, Ray Lewis, Moss, Dawkins, Erlacher, and T.O. That's pretty good. And that's better and more optimistic than uh, than we probably thought. I know in your hand, you did probably didn't think you'd see T.O. get in in a while. And, and maybe not even Moss first ballot, but the voters get it right this time. No, I think the voters definitely got it right. And no, you you called my cynicism uh, very well. I did not expect T.O. to get in. I did expect Randy Moss to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, absolutely. And the rest of the guys that got in really didn't surprise me on a first ballot except Brian Dawkins. I thought he was an absolutely first ballot Hall of Famer, but I didn't know if the voters would have seen it that way. So that that, that was cool to see. Dawkins, so Dawkins gets in on his second. Look, oh, Moss, this second yeah, try? Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Dawkins, Dawkins just missed out last year, and I didn't have too big of a problem with it. It was a stacked field. We got a lot of guys that should have gotten in. So Dawkins getting in and... Fittingly enough, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, it was good. You knew Ray right. was going to be there because of his iconic stature in the game. Moss, oh, awesome. a top two, top three receiver of all time, along with T.O., who's right in that discussion as well. I'm, I'm glad these guys are in. And Earl Acker is another one, too. People don't really understand how much he dominated the game. Oh, he dominated he his position, absolutely. And it's just a shame that he had awful quarterbacks and he had Rex Grossman in the Super Bowl. He did, and it was wet that day, too. <laughs> it um, was. You know, it's good now. We usually have a lot of nitpicks to, to you know, air our grievances right now, but there's not that many. This is as no. good of a class as uh, as we've seen. As we've seen, you uh-huh. know, top to bottom. And you didn't have, you know, last year, Kurt Warner, Terrell Davis get in. Um, Favre was before that, so we're starting to see some things with that. Um, before I get into some preview of, of who's actually up for next year, there's some names that I'm looking at to uh, to finally get into the Hall of Fame. I think John Lynch's number will be called soon. I think Dawkins was the was the guy in front of him um, there. And look, there's certain players, Ryan, that I think 
I think Walls, Everson Walls, needs to get into the Hall of Fame. He absolutely needs to get in. I mean, absolutely. that that guy was the guy in Tom Landry's secondary. Ty Law is another guy. I mean, Ty Law is phenomenal, too. I think he should be in there. Yeah. Uh, Alan Fanico, Lyman, and Buscelli, again, is another one that I think um, should be in there. Steve Atwater gets a lot of play as well. So there's still some names. Isaac Bruce, who's the next receiver going to be? Probably mm-hmm. Bruce at some point. But, Ryan, the next year's class. It's going to be tough for the guys that didn't get in this year because we talked about how good this year's class was. Yeah. I'll give you five names of players, and there's even more, but I'll give you the best five names of players that are available uh, for eligibility for the first time next year. Jonathan Vilma, London Fletcher, oh, wow. Champ Bailey, Tony Gonzalez, Ed Reed. Oh, wow. So two locks, absolutely. Two? Tony and Ed, two Just are two? Ab- absolutely okay. locks. All right, they're definitely they have- locks, but look. I know I'm biased because he played college football in Cleveland's John Carroll, but London Fletcher was the Iron Man in the NFL. Oh no, London Fletcher! No, 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 no! And he was kind of—he was my next guy after that. I think Vilma's at the bottom. Yeah, he definitely that. is, and that's no knock uh-huh. on him. And Champ yeah. was the best corner in football for how many years? Oh no, no, like fifteen. <laughs> so that's got to count for something too, man. Next year's class is going to be stacked. Listen, he was the best player for fifteen years, and he played for fifty. Yeah. I mean, he played forever. You got to say what? Other than maybe Daryl Green, nobody lost their legs. Like nobody kept their legs longer than Champ Bailey. Charles Woodson too, I would say. Well, I, I I think Woodson's a better player than both those guys, but I think it was not a speed thing. I think he transitioned to safety and extended his career. But it's yeah, just being pure fast. Oh, pure fast! Yeah, yeah. Champ definitely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, Woodson's a guy that. Uh, you know, he'll be, I think what he's, you know, a couple of years we'll be seeing him up there too. Oh, um, 100%. That's the thing. I mean, we're losing some some great players and, and it, they start to stack up. So I'm they looking do. forward to the speeches. But, you know, Moss's speech is going to be great. Dawkins is going to get emotional. So is Urlacher. But, and, but Ray, Ray Ray's last, right? He has to be the yeah, last guy. He has to, yeah, he has to close. I think that's uh-huh. going to be a separate show. We're going to have the Hall of Fame show. And we're going hey, to have Ray, have Ray Lewis, Lewis monologue. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm excited to see that. I mean, it's it's our generation getting ready to go into Canton. So hey, listen, uh, in honor of To, get your popcorn ready for this one because yeah. these these speeches are going to be amazing. What if, what if he just airs out grievances? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking Maybe. the exact same thing. He might. And, yeah, I hope. I just hope he retires or or like goes into the Hall of Fame as an Eagle. That's all. But he'll go into the. 49er probably. Yeah, I think he has to. Uh, I, I think yeah, I think to. that was the part of his career that made him T.O. Well, and, I'll uh, say this. He don't have to go in as an eagle. Just don't go uh, in as a cowboy. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe a Bengal. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> all right. Ryan Souls, this was fun. Uh, for another football season in the books. Um, you be watching spring training baseball or no? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Absolutely. I, I'll watch the Olympics on replay, bro. Oh, yeah, we'll be excited for that for sure. All right, man. Appreciate it. Thanks again for coming on. Man, thanks for having me. Pleasure to close out the NFL. All right, huge thanks again to Ryan Souls for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. And although I'm sad that football season is over, I want to say big thanks again to everybody that came on during NFL season to talk and help me break down NFL football. Next season will be here before you know it. 
Now it's time to talk with Gunnar Ludwig here on the Money Mitch Effect, my old buddy from the NFL Network. We worked together for a season there. He talks about how he got into sports growing up uh, in the Detroit area, going to Columbia College in Chicago, and then making the journey out to California. We talk about his Detroit fanhood, the Lions, what they're going to do with Patricia as the head coach. And uh, yeah, we break down a lot. It was a lengthy discussion of back and forth. We also talk about Josh McDaniel spurning the Colts to stay with the Patriots, which broke about an hour or two before we started recording. It's Gunnar Ludwig on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect. First time on the show, my old pal, Gunnar Ludwig from the NFL Network. Gunnar, thanks for joining the show. What's up, Mitch? Good to see you again. It's been a while. It's been uh, a few years since our the one season I was on NFL Network. I think it was also your first 2014. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, uh, they, they, they kind of revamped the staff and a bunch of people started that year. Yeah, it was, uh, it was like, I always said it was like joining a fraternity like when yeah. I got out there and, you know, 20, 30 people, all relatively the same age, same age group. And uh, yeah, it was just a blast. Yeah, I felt kind of like summer camp, you know, <laughs> especially when it, when it was seasonal and people would kind of go away and come back and, you know, see all those faces that you see once a year. <laughs> so you're you're a football fan, but much more than that. I know you were a, a sports guy. And I say this with, uh, you know, something that I don't give away many, many times. A stats guy, like myself, always into numbers and where people went to school. So I got to ask you the question I ask most of my guests. Where did that come from, that, that desire to work in sports, that sports fanhood, just your whole life? Did something click later? I'm always curious because it's never the same answer. Yeah, it's and for me, I think that's an interesting question because I did not come from a sports family at all. And I played sports, but I wasn't that good at it. Like, I, I always kind of say that uh, my whole life I loved watching sports and playing sports, but at a certain age I realized I was a lot better at watching them than playing them. So, <laughs> it's, most um, people don't realize that in early age. <laughs> yeah, well, in early age probably means like 16. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's when I finally admitted it to myself. But... Um, yeah, I mean, I played sports, you know, not super hardcore, um, but I I was like an ESPN nerd. I don't, I, I can't put a finger on exactly when that happened, because again, I mean, my dad would watch like Pistons playoff games and maybe some Lions games. He liked sports, you know, mm -hmm. my brother was kind of into sports, but nobody in my immediate family was a diehard sports fan. You know, some of wow. my dad's college buddies were like hardcore and looking up, uh, you know, uh, lines and placing bets on the, mm -hmm. in the NCAA tournament and stuff like that. Um, my dad wasn't in that level with them. He'd watch sports, but yeah, not in that level. So I feel like, um, like getting into becoming a hardcore sports fan, the, the, maybe the two figures that did it most were probably Michael Jordan and Barry Sanders. And then I just started, I, you know, started watching a lot of basketball, started watching a lot of, of lions, unfortunately. And um, Barry gave us something to be entertained by. <laughs> so, yeah, and then it just kind of went quickly in my youth. It quickly went from a thing I was somewhat into to, like, an obsession. And I was watching ESPN all night. And I would fold out the, the 
fold out the newspaper, right. you know, I'm dating myself. <laughs> no, I mean, I so read... Back when newspapers... Yeah, I, I read newspapers, sports pages <laughs> so as a kid, too. I would fold out the newspaper, and we didn't have all this access to, to sports information, yeah. so you didn't have a lot of options, so I would I would look at the stats, and I was probably even more of a stats guy then than I am now, but I still am. I, I like to, you know, stats are a good reference to what people did, and and what happened in the game and what specific guys that came before you, what they did, compared, right. you know. But I don't have them all buried in my head. I don't remember all the stats all mm-hmm. the time. But I would spread out, like, the the baseball page and see who's leading the league in home runs and batting average and look at where that list was. I think baseball is a big, obviously, stat yeah, sport. So sure. that, that was the one that I was really looking at the stats probably was baseball. And, you know, there was a few years where um, – where Cecil Fielder was kind of oh, yeah. uh, g- given the home run race, you know, was 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 high in the home run race. And uh, again, as a, as a Tigers fan in the '90s, there wasn't much else to get excited about. So you mentioned Jordan being one. I mean, obviously Barry Sanders, the, yeah, the Detroit, yeah, so Detroit guy. guy yeah. But Jordan's interesting because obviously a lot of kids in that era like Jordan. But as a Pistons fan too, even Michael Jordan. I mean, yeah. So with that when, rivalry, when you're that young, you don't really care about yeah. you know your loyalties as much. I don't think. Uh-huh. You know, you do when it's convenient. Yeah. But um, I felt like, and I feel like I see this for a lot of sports fans. I think the 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 hometown loyalty tends to come when you get a little older. When you're younger, you kind of want to feel like I've got my own team. I'm gonna get my own jersey. I'm not gonna get the same jersey that all my friends have. I don't want yeah. the same hat that all my friends have. I don't want you know the Cecil Fielder jersey. I want the Ken Griffey Jr. jersey. So you know I'm gonna get a Mariners hat to go with it. So you know I, I had some of that stuff going on, but I was still a fan of the Detroit teams always. But so I kind of missed the Bad Boys era. Like that was I I remember one of the, my first sports memories and going back to the fact that my family wasn't a huge sports family, but the Bad Boys were so big in Detroit. Of course, and it was. I remember I had I had big families, big you know Catholic families on both sides. I have about eighteen first cousins, so you know we it would be like my dad's whole family, aunts and uncles, crammed in front of a TV and people screaming at the TV when the when the Bad Boys were playing and. I wasn't into it yet, and, and again, weird because very few of those family members really care about sports, and, and you know, I, I that's one of the only times I can remember like my my family being really into a sporting event and and me not caring, and <laughs> after that it kind of started to flip. Wow. So I, I was only about five the, the when the the second title of the Bad Boys won, and and, okay. and that team fell apart quickly. Yeah. So when I started watching the Pistons, they were pretty bad for a while. Grant Hill got there. And, oh yeah. I mean, he was he was the heir apparent that everybody thought would be kind of like the next Jordan, and yeah, then the ankle injuries player, happened. But, and, yeah. Um. But but definitely. Yeah. You know. That I, I think a lot of people, a lot of kids especially, and a lot of oh, young yeah. adults don't realize how good he was before he got injured. Yeah. In a way, you know. Um. Different. Again, different player. Yeah. But but. Maybe more of a of a LeBron type, not as athletic and and uh, and powerful, you know. But like pass, the, passing ability for sure. Yeah, like the point yeah. forward who 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 he can overpower you. Not a great three point shooter, but he would knock him down once in a while. But yeah, could, he could take it to the hole as well. And those as teal jerseys too. That's <laughs> okay. like I mean, that's the one. He's the only player I really remember from that. Teal Jersey Pistons era. Yeah, Stackhouse was around for yeah. some part of that. You know, Dumars was hanging in there for part of it too. I forgot how long his career was. Yeah, he had some good years towards yeah, the end yeah. still. So Dumars was was there for a long time. So but, yeah, so I was going to ask you though, like going forward, and we'll get into kind of the Lions. I want to 
dive into there. Yeah, a lot of but, things going on in the Detroit sports world right now. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Um, well, also too, I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta bring this up too. I'm, I'm a hockey guy, and mm-hmm. you grew up during one of the best dynasties. I would call it. I mean, I know they won too, but it's so hard to repeat. I mean, the Penguins just did something that only the Red Wings had done in 20 years and went back to back. But right. those Red Wings teams were so fun to watch. And I say this just as an as a impartial fan of hockey. Maybe it was because they followed the Devils and they were kind of boring. But that era of Red Wings hockey was, uh, I mean, as a generational fan, I think it would be great to see. Right. And um, the, the Avalanche rivalry. Yeah. I, I don't know that... that you can come up with a better rivalry in sports, and it's tough because you, there wasn't history attached to it. No, and there wasn't. There was literally no history attached to the Colorado Avalanche. No, and and no nothing, no geography attached to it. No reason for them to be rivals other than they were both really good and they kept playing each other and they kept doing dirty things to each other. fight. I mean, I remember the Vernon. I was a really young kid. And I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever saw. Yeah, it was when, a McCarty, Patrick when McCarty fight. finally got uh, yeah. got revenge on Lemieux on for Claude. blasting Draper's face into the boards. When he was, was that when he was a devil, and then he moved over to the Avalanche, and yeah. So I don't follow oh, hockey like I used to, but I, I still love hockey. I just, yeah. you know, I'm kind of a casual fan when it comes to hockey. Um, but at the time, I was I was following hockey more than anything. You know, at that time, I was obsessed with those Red Wings teams. The Russian Five. <laughs> yeah, the Russian Five. I mean, so many guys we can na- name on that team. I mean, you know, Iserman is still, Oof. you know, arguably at the top of the Detroit sports echelon. You, you know, know what's crazy to me, and I agree with you, but I don't think a lot of people that either aren't from Detroit or aren't big hockey fans quite understand what he meant to Detroit sports. Right, and, and in a way... You know, in hockey, even in Detroit, hockey is still kind of a, of a community thing. It's mm-hmm. still a little more niche you know. And at the time, it didn't feel like that. But um, when you look back on it, it still is. I mean, when, when you remember the bad boys, it's kind of like everybody from Michigan remembers that. When you remember even, like, you know, mediocre Lions teams that had Barry Sanders <laughs> and Herman Moore, it, it, even though it's hockey town and all that stuff, hockey's still a niche sport. Mm-hmm. So those memories get a little more lost and... and um, and and you know just the, the the hockey loyalty is there, but I still don't know that even in Detroit that the numbers of fans who care is as big as right. say the Pistons or especially the Lions or Tigers. Right. You know, but it, it is it is still there's a reason why they call it that, and it is still I mean, had so much history with the Red Wings, and so many people grow up playing hockey in Michigan, and mm-hmm. you know so uh, so yeah you know I do I I do think that. Previous generations, the name Steve Eiserman might not resonate even as much as Isaiah Thomas, you know, mm-hmm, yeah. who's even further back. But but maybe more documentaries, more you know, we, we just we need to make that uh, Red Wings Avalanche documentary. We do, and then uh, <laughs> we do, we definitely do. That I mean, I, I gotta say though, that goal that he scored against the Blues, the one that was up from the blue line to win to beat Gretzky and uh, the St. Louis Blues team, was one of the best playoff moments I've ever seen. And oh, he's yeah. just a great leader. I mean. It's uh, it was fun to see that team, that playoff streak. I mean, what twenty five straight years was it? I yeah, think. I think it ended at twenty five. Yeah, I can't, I can't put into words how hard that is to do in any sport, let alone a sport like hockey, where if they're and in a lot of those years they're winning championships, they're going deep into the playoffs, your off season short, and they're just going back every year. So yeah, and and you can see where, um, you know, you get a little spoiled as as 
a Red Wings fan going through what we did, it, it's a little hard for me to get excited about the NHL right now when your team just went to the playoffs 25 straight years and yeah. now they're uh, mediocre. They're actually playing a little better than people expected right now, yeah. you know, but they're a mediocre team. The new arena, I'm, I'm interested uh, to see if they're able to, you know, turn that into the hot spot that the Joe was. So. We'll see. It's not yet. <laughs> no, not yet, not yet. Gunnar Ludwig, Money Mitch Effect. I want to get back to just talking about you getting into the sports world, it was right to Columbia College in Chicago? Was that right yeah, out of high school? Yeah, which isn't really a sports, you know, haven. So I... I um, <laughs> you put it on the map, I mean... <laughs> yeah, and, and going there, I was I was always kind of um, thinking I was going to go either to film school or to journalism or... So sports, sports journalism was still in the head, even though they didn't really have a program for that. But doing something along those lines was still in my head. But but I think that the idea that I, I kind of wanted to go into television or film, you know, pushed me in that direction a little bit more. So I guess it was like, like you know, my obsession with sports and then the obsession with kind of TV and, and movies and, and video and working on video and things like that. That was kind of the best way to combine all those things. So were there things, were there, I guess extracurriculars, hobbies there to keep the sports wheels turning or was that more of a technical training for the well, other aspects yeah, filming? More so. There was very little of it. You know, I started doing blogging and stuff on my own um, and there was great um, great teachers that taught me a lot about how to write in general and things like that so that really helped and there was a lot of people that kind of honed your creativity um, so, you know, there was a lot of classes where you could pitch and create a pilot for any type of show and if you wanted to go that route then you could kind of make it some type of sports show but there was only one class that I worked in on um, or that I was in that was sports specific and it was um, I don't remember the exact name of the class but basically it was putting on a live uh, a live game production and we were going uh, in Chicago to some of the like AAU league games and stuff it, we kind of combined with a, with a local high school so it was kind of like they had some resources. We had some resources. We okay. kind of took some of the kids under their wings, and we all went in different positions. Say, you're a camera op, you're a director, you know, um, you're. I, I was the play-by-play guy, so I got to do all the play-by-play, and and, and I was pretty good at it. You know, I, okay. I, I was I was pretty good at it, given that I didn't have any experience doing it. But you know, when you when you're like watching ESPN, watching games your whole life, it's like me and my friends just ended up talking like sports broadcasters right. anyways. while the game's just, going on. Even yeah. when we're not talking sports. <laughs> yeah, another area of life. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know. uh, no, I, I I have a lot of respect for, I did a little bit of that too. And yeah, you have a lot of respect for the, the ones that are great at play-by-play in some of the tough sports. Yeah, you can see how flustering it can get when, you know, you're not getting the information you want. Because yeah. I'm sitting here, it's like all my numbers are wrong. All my <laughs> Nobody's telling me how yeah. to pronounce the hard games. This is a very small broadcast. So, you yeah. know, you could really see how to deal with it when things go wrong, and it's hard to keep your cool when, when it does. You definitely <laughs> learn that. It's probably like no air conditioning. It's just oh my god, like crazy. You couldn't be more right. It was <laughs> like the middle of summer. It was a summer class. Yeah. It was it was yes, it was in not the best facility. I'm not going to name it, <laughs> but it was so damn hot. I was drenched in sweat the whole time. <laughs> so oh, yeah, deal with adversity. Uh, we'd call a game lose a little weight, you know. It's, yeah, it's like a sauna. Yeah, exactly. It was like hot yoga. <laughs> <laughs> so you, that's good. So you uh, moved out here, um, got the job with Fox Sports. But was that a decision to just try to come out here and make it in sports? Was there anything that went into that thought process? Did you have anything lined up beforehand? Yeah, you know, after I graduated in Chicago, um, I was selling programs at Wrigley Field. 
Oh. Um, I was kind of a staple out there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a big so deal, yeah. I like to think I was. Okay. Other people might not think that. But, um, you know, I was doing some odd jobs, somewhat connected to sports. I was also... Um, I, I was announcing for a women's roller derby league. Well, they um, have a, I didn't even know that. Live PA, you know, it was that was a lot of fun. Uh, no money, um, <laughs> so uh, the league didn't generate much money to begin right, with. So it wasn't if it was, I wasn't the only one getting okay. stiffed there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, but that was a cool, a cool hobby on the side. So a lot of like sports adjacent things yeah. and um but wasn't really getting work and wasn't necessarily like applying myself the the best way to go get jobs and things like that i was you know i had to learn a little bit of work ethic and things like that but i i, I um shot a pilot that i was kind of a baby of mine that was you know a concept similar to like anthony bourdain with with sports fans you know? oh yeah um and uh i took that i was producing that out here and um ended up kind of getting back shelved for later but um but yeah, working on that project and came out here working on that and then some other things. Took another trip just to kind of talk to job prospects and things like that. Right. And I didn't necessarily get hired, but I had uh, a lot of good conversations with people about freelance work and things like that. And, you know, things weren't going that great at the time in Chicago. I mean, I had a good life there. I had a lot of friends and I loved the city, but I kind of needed that change of pace. And, and L.A. really seemed like a place where I could spark a lot of opportunities and as soon as I came out here I started doing some freelance uh, work with Fox Sports West and um, um, you know got to do an interview with uh, with Baron Davis and, and some things like that where I got to get out of the field and and get a little excited about it so so that kind of sparked that I was also doing a little PA work on commercial sets until like the Fox work got more consistent so was doing you know a few LA things and right. and seeing what stuck but but it became pretty pretty obvious that you know, and my dad had some advertising connections because he worked in advertising and, and I got connected to the Fox Sports West people. So it became pretty apparent that I could come out here and at least get work and opportunity. So it did that was just a no brainer for me. Right. Got to make the plunge. I mean, a lot of people have this have a similar story where they didn't have stuff lined up. Yeah. They're able to just come out here, talk to people, start out freelancing um, and go for there. But Fox Sports offered you, it sounds like tons of opportunity dealing with some some great premier athletes getting to actually interview them did you really feel like you were honing your interview skills working yeah now well i was now i should say i wasn't really right. always the one interviewing right them. But, if i yeah. was i wasn't on camera no i but, know um, yeah. <laughs> but this was uh, michael eaves who's now with uh, espn yeah. is uh, was interviewing baron davis i was the field producer it was exciting to me because that was the first time i kind of got to go to you know a very professional sports environment we went to the clippers practice facility before the uh, the season started, and, and yeah, I, my my field production on that piece, um, you know, Michael leaves a little bit of a big shot, so you know, wasn't really gonna let this new kid come in and tell him what to ask. <laughs> he knew Baron Davis; he had a working relationship. I was there for quality control, okay. you know, but okay. um, but 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 yeah, no, it was a great experience, and just and, seeing how the process works. Yeah, seeing that. how the process works, and yeah, I did have some input in terms of uh, mm -hmm. of, of what to ask, but but again, Michael already had his his plan right. ready to go. Um, but but yeah, worked on that feature and got to do some other kind of feature work for them. I had a lot of editing experience, so you know that's always valuable to places like that. Right, and I wanted to ask you because you know you get to 
to connect the dots a little bit, you get to Fox Sports and now at NFL working as an editor. Where did those skills come from? Was that college trained? Was that self-taught? How did, I mean, yeah. obviously it was a valuable skill because it's gotten you to where, where you are now. I, I interned at a few post-production houses. So that that's where the most of that came from. I, I was also kind of an AV kid in high school. Oh, you know? so, yeah. That was with the only class that I uh, excelled in was my TV video class. So. Um, all, all the other ones I was just trying to pass and then that one I actually kind of got the like TV video student of honor you know uh, you know gold star whatever yeah. whatever it was but but I wasn't used to that stuff so I, I, didn't, I didn't get a lot of accolades in the classes <laughs> I, I was just kind of getting my C's and, and then I was doing my work in that class because I was excited about it and I liked playing with cameras and playing with editing and stuff like that so so yeah a little bit in high school and then in my college years the I got a lot more experience with editing and I was working at a post-production house in uh, in Chicago and there was like a contest for the interns to um, you know there was three movies that they picked that were all movies that were nominated for Oscars that year and you could pick one of the movies and you edit a trailer for that movie and you could either do like a straight sell of the trailer or kind of like a fun spoof and I took the uh, March of the Penguins was the movie that I took and I took a bunch of audio from the Jaws trailer like the original Jaws trailer yeah. and and I kind of you know mashed it up to make it look like you know they were the penguins were the the, the people trying to escape the shark that ultimately I used the <laughs> seal scene the seal yeah, in yeah. March of the Penguins so that that I won the I won the, wow. the contest and that kind of um, you know, gave a little fire to my uh, editing ambitions. So okay. uh, I felt like, hey, maybe I'm all right at this. One of, one of the good things about still chatting here with Gunnar Ludwig on the Money Mitch Effect, one of the good things I think about working at NFL Network is you get to kind of dabble your hands in different things. And I, I realized how big the operation was. I didn't have an editing job like that before where you're able to, I guess, create some content. What are some of the things that you be able to, uh, you have been able to create at NFL Network, some pieces that you're really proud of? Um, yeah, that's, a t I mean, you know, we, we were just working on a really cool um, kind of best of all the behind the scenes sound from the Super Bowl. And that's awesome. I mean, that stuff's great. That yeah. way. And that's one of the biggest things too, is that just, you kind of take it for granted there if you're an editor or producer. You go to most most places. If you're not working for the NFL, you don't just have access to all this footage and this whole library of NFL films. Yeah. So, you know, you, you have so much cool stuff to work with there to, to put things together and so much access to these vaults of, of NFL history, you know, past and present. Yeah, that's so a great point. Th I mean, that, that one and... Um, incredible. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, when, when they first launched NFL Now and uh, they had... Uh, Maurice Jones drew on there and they were doing some goofy stuff there a lot of the people that have kind of moved along were heavy in that uh, Marquez took and uh, Colleen Wolf was was one of the main people yeah. Colleen's you know really um, going good going morning football out. I think uh, she does it sometimes, sometimes but yeah. I think she does some total access yeah. as the game day morning stuff like that so um, so yeah working with those people and um, you know uh, we were doing digital content and just trying to like do anything goofy that would go viral or anything that would catch people's attention in a fun and entertaining but way. It's like being a kid in a candy store, though. I mean, do something cool with, with football. It just is. Figure it out and have some creativity there. The best of pieces, too. I really like those. Yeah. Where you get, 
and I'm, I'm assuming they still do this, but I know our year they did where you get a player assigned to you and you basically put together their highlights of their season. Yeah, to some extent. I, I don't think they do it for as many people as they did. Some of them were a little, <laughs> little carried away. We were kind yeah. of, uh, you know, the, the third best receiver on, on the Bengals. Yeah, um, I know. But... <laughs> yeah, there was, I missed the best of Casey Coleman. I didn't see him. Yeah. Oh, man. So um, uh, I don't know if, it, yeah. if it's quite as extreme in that regard, but, yeah, there's all sorts of, you know, beefed up music videos that we do at the end of the year to kind of wrap things up and, and preview right. the next year. So. Right. Well, I think it's time for me to ask you about the current state of the Lions because yeah, let's go. Um, let's all right. go, baby. Well, uh, let me just backtrack this for a second. My generation of being a Browns fan, I have no sympathy for anybody. Yeah. But historically, I do have sympathy for we're, the Lions. We're, like, I'm the yeah. only one that can argue with you about this. This generation, okay, <laughs> the, the, yeah, you're true. But the reason I'm saying is my generation, like anybody under like 35, yeah, for my era, it, it's not even close. Like we have like literally like no good memories. No. Yeah, um, but and and Lions historically, yeah. I mean, I have sympathy, but in the last like you know twenty thirty years or so, Stafford's teams have been okay. Only only good enough to to frustrate you even more. You know how much we would want that though. <laughs> like, Do you? It's that's kind uh, of the age so, old debate. For a year it or two. is fun yeah. for your team to be re- like like yeah. at least in the playoff hunt for most of the year. Like mm-hmm. that is that does make the NFL season a lot more. fun. Yeah, you get meaningful football down the stretch. But it, as a Lions fan, like when this year ended. I, I look back to the beginning of the year when they got off to a good start. I'm like, you know, whenever your team does, you're oh, I really like this team. I think this could be a really good team. You look at it at the end of the year, and you look back at the team and the roster, and it's a very they were a very mediocre team. Yeah. They, they shouldn't have been much better than they were. I mean, they should have been able to beat the Bengals to, to keep their playoff hopes alive. There's always that, I, I feel like, watching the Lions from the outside, there's always that one just clunker loss that mm-hmm. it seems like keeps coming back to bite you guys. And even I would even say even in years where you've gotten to the playoffs, you can look at a, at a certain game or two where it's like, man, we would have been setting ourselves up for maybe a run at the division or maybe not the six or the five seed. Having to go into you know Dallas or play Seattle or yeah, what well those they had were. you know the the uh, the Calvin Johnson fumble at the one against Seattle and yeah. the Aaron Rodgers hail mary were in the same year. Like that's usually the worst <laughs> loss in a team's <laughs> history. Wow. Those were in the same year and and Holy and crap. and I forget what they started that year. They started something like you know two and seven, like terrible start, and then they almost made. They ended up only being a game or two away from the playoffs. They yeah. went on this crazy run. Uh, the Packers were just completely beat up, and and um, you know when they were they were coming into Detroit on a Thursday night game, and Detroit I think was still a game or two below five hundred, but I think they were favored in that game. And they outplayed them for they, most of that game. They did until you know yeah. Rodgers just went berserk in the fourth quarter. Wow! And, and, and the Seahawks penalty it should have been illegal touching. It when you batted it, it was the it should have. But no one other than like maybe Bill Belichick's guy already knew the rule. Yeah, and I'm not that big on um, blaming a game on a penalty that's such a formality. It's not as if he fumbled because of a penalty. Yeah, you no, know? I see that. So it, I, I I get it. Yes, they didn't call that correctly, but you still made the mistake. And it wasn't even like a terrible mistake. It was an incredible play by Cam Chancellor. Yeah, it, wasn't, oh yeah. it wasn't as if Kelvin Johnson was being careless with the ball. Looking back on this year, uh, just to kind of recap what you just said, you're more upset with the Bengals' loss than the Falcons' loss, the Golden Tate down at the goal line clock running play? Um, th- that one was obviously more frustrating. Yeah. You know, um, they, they the Lions played really well for most mm-hmm. of that game. Um, and... 
you just don't really know how to process that as a fan. Like, you know, do, do you blame the refs? Do you blame the rule? Do you blame? I thought about team? it, and I'm like, well, it does make sense that it would take about ten seconds for everybody to get up, all the linemen to run it up. It does, however. That, that is not a good rule. No, five no, seconds not. is plenty. I think if anybody gets screwed out of that by a few seconds, it should be the defense. Like yeah. the, you, you should have a chance. And I, let me put it like: so the Lions tweeted out a play from I, I don't know if it was if it was um, a, a week or so prior or if it was the the previous season. But there was a play where they threw I think like a twenty or thirty yard pass where they ran and clocked it with like eight seconds left. And they said, you're telling me we wouldn't have had a shot. Wow. How long did it take them to get up there? I, I don't remember. But, but not, basically, not, the time yeah. the, the time was it was less than 10 seconds, and it was much more field to wow. cover. So, it, the, the, you know, not that that settles at all, but that's a terrible rule for multiple reasons. It's so, And I'm not just yeah. saying it as a fan. Right. Like, I think as a fan, wouldn't you rather see the defensive team complaining that, oh, they shouldn't have had that much time than the <laughs> offensive team just – play ending because of a bad it call. was it was just bizarre and yeah it are how do you arbitrarily decide how much time something would have taken you'll never know the true answer and, and let's put it this way if a super bowl ended like that they would change the rule instantly and anytime you can say that you should yeah. change the rule that's how instant replay came back absolutely um that jets play where or i think it was like jet seahawks or something like that yeah. but matt patricia are we excited about him in detroit Oddly enough, not the not the coordinator the Patriots fought to keep. Yeah, <laughs> Big and that tells there. you something. Yeah, I'll it's be like, honest. I wouldn't have been too upset God's if the Patriots like, if, if Matt Patricia <laughs> pulled the rug under. Like, Josh McDaniels, we really want to keep you. Godspeed, Matt Patricia. Good luck in Detroit. Yeah, well, yeah. just coming off of this game, I, I I don't want to ever be prisoner of the moment, but coming off of this game was it's going to leave a lot of bad taste in people's mouths. The question is. Were the Patriots' defense bad because Patricia wasn't that good of a coach, or was their roster just bad, and did he make a bad unit mediocre throughout the season? There is an argument for that because they they intentionally decimated their defensive talent. Oh. You know, yeah. letting go of Chandler Jones, Jamie Collins, had the injury to the kid from Youngstown State. Yeah, they drafted. They benched Malcolm Butler because <laughs> maybe they were mad at him. I mean, these you know very Belichick moves. <laughs> High school Belichick. Just yeah. Very so. Uh, yeah, he he doesn't have the best resources now. So some of the numbers this year might not be fair to judge him on, but some of the the you know points per game that he's hung his hat so high on over his career and how much of that is to his credit too. I mean, are, let me put it this way: Are the Patriots good because of Matt Patricia? No, 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 I mean, it's not, no they're not. They're going to be fine without him. If Matt Patricia <laughs> didn't get hired by the Patriots, would we think he was that good? No. <laughs> It's, it's the honest, the truth answer. And so that you know, am I saying that he won't be good? I don't know. Maybe he'll be good. I just, I, I was even saying I would almost have rather seen them hire Matt Vrabel, who I know, um, yeah. uh, you know, I know hasn't done necessarily as much and hasn't, but he knows what it's like to have to go to a team where you have to struggle to win. Yeah, I, I like a little bit of that. I, I'm not too sure how things are going to go when they're if they're 0 and 3. Can Matt Patricia yeah. deal with that adversity? Can Rabel, he deal with the yeah. with the press being all over him? Can he deal with rumors that he's going to get fired? Vrabel has that reputation of being a good motivator as well. I don't. It's just we haven't seen Patricia run a staff like a lot of these new coaches for the first time. We don't know what that's going to be like. But yeah, the Patriots' defense in the last few years 
hasn't been the Patriots' defense of their first dynasty. It's funny how it flipped, where their offense has kind of been, you know, the breadwinner, so to speak. I, I don't, I don't know. They, I, I don't think it's as much as that the Lions hired him. It's that they like sought him down. Or like, this is our guy. We want him so bad. There was rumors of it from the day that Bob yeah. Quinn got hired. It, it, it's been rumored from the get-go, and I kind of wanted to think it was just one of those false narratives. Oh, he's the Patriots guy coming to the Lions. He's going to bring his Patriots guys with him. And look, all I'm hoping, and I always hope this, that it, whether it's my team or another team, and I think the same thing when you take a quarterback first overall, are, are you doing this because you're convinced this guy is that good, or are you doing this because you want to show your fans something? And I'm a little nervous that this is a cheap sell to the fans. Hey, I'm going to bring the Patriots winning ways to Detroit. Mm-hmm. This tough, grizzly, bearded guy who's Belichick's right-hand man. And obviously, since you're standing right there next to Belichick, you absorb all of his football <laughs> IQ. That's going to come with him, right? He's yeah. also, is Tom Brady coming to Detroit? Well, it didn't work for Romeo Cornell. I can yeah. attest to that one. Um, who is your dream candidate, though? If you would have had your pick of the litter, assuming that they would have wanted and taken the job, who did you originally want? Or 1A, 1B, I would say. I can't say I had a dream candidate, and maybe this is just because it just seemed so um, signed, sealed, delivered that it was going to be Patricia. Maybe Cooter? Was he? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think so. I don't think he's ready for that. Maybe someday, you know, it might have been kind of like a Ty Lue scenario. Like Ty Lue. Just keep Stafford happy, and maybe we'll see what's up if we need you to pitch. Yeah, and and I didn't want them to move on from him. I'm glad that they're not going to. If anything, you know, if they were going to promote a coordinator, maybe Terrell Austin. But um, honestly, I thought, and this isn't, I'm not necessarily going to say dream hire, but I thought, why not not talk to Jack Del Rio? Yeah, that that Oakland situation was, uh, it was unfortunate for a lot of reasons. I do think the coach, I think, Everybody was upset with how their offense just went terribly, terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And I don't think but he's it was deserved. One year. Yeah, I know it was one year, but there is um, there is something to say about just not being ready to play. And you mentioned like losing to the team like the Bengals for the Lions. There were multiple games this year, but the Buffalo one rings out to me where they just did not show up, and that's got to be on the head coach. There, there were, and, and you're right. So I'm not, you know, yeah. any any high, any guy the Lions is going to hire is going to bring some question marks with them. You know, they're they're not getting Gruden, and they're not getting uh, Bill Belichick. So, <laughs> no, no. you know, so. Uh, you, my, my argument with that, so I feel like in the NFL, if you're a head coach that gets fired, then everyone has to discredit you for a few years. <laughs> it seems like that's typically so, what happens. Yeah. Like a year ago, we all thought Jack Del Rio was one of the best coaches in the NFL. Then he has a bad year and gets fired, and now he's trash, don't touch him for a few years. It's also the Gruden thing was, was lined up. Yes. And it was. Like, and that's part of it, so too. So that, that's another thing. And so I, I, I don't fully buy this narrative that Jack Del Rio lost the locker room. It was all on him. They had a lot of injuries. They were a little bit overrated, overrated yeah. to begin with. That team's not that good. I'm sorry. I mean, they have some really good pieces. They overperformed the year before. Derek Carr is very good, but he's not as good as people. The run game is not he, good. We, we, put, we put Derek Carr a little too high up a little too soon. He might get to where we put him, That's, but... He didn't. He, he didn't deserve the best quarterback in the league. And discussion. No player in the NFL maybe regressed more than Amari Cooper. Yeah, I mean, and, and he still was, showed signs yeah. of it. Where you have that, you know, two hundred yard game. I still think Amari Cooper could be yeah. a great player, but he wasn't this year. But I, I do think, um, you know, the, the whole losing the locker room narrative. You notice how that only happens when the team starts losing. Like, did he lose the locker room, or did they just suck this year? <laughs> 
That's a chicken versus the egg debate for sure. Uh, no, I know how I know the. It's just, it's just There's funny no to me how candidate. fast a coach becomes awful in the NFL. How, well, how fast he hey, becomes a I, great coach to an awful coach. So. I give you props for making a, a decision to at least. I mean, because I wasn't. Look, I mean, I think it was time to get a new head coach. I do too. Uh, and look, a quarter of the league's gone with old coaches, and Hugh Jackson's still in Cleveland. So <laughs> <laughs> they get rid of everybody cleans house, and he and, stays. And I don't think Caldwell is a terrible coach, no. but he's a very average coach. He's not. He, he doesn't seem like he's going to get him to the next level. So what I if I do if there's something I do like about this Patricia hire, and I don't love it, but I'm a fan. I'm going to be optimistic. I hope he proves me wrong. I think Matt Patricia is the kind of guy that we might learn very fast if he can do this or not, and we might know within his first year whether or not we want to hold on to him. I do think we're going to give him at least two years because of the connection with Bob Quinn and how high Bob Quinn has on him and how much he's sworn by him for so long. You don't just want to dump him a year later and say, oh, my, this guy's trash. I was an idiot for hiring him. So yeah. I do think they'll give him at least two. Um, but I think that it's a little bit of a roll of the dice, but I do think there's upside there. I do yeah. think there's potential that Patricia could be a great head coach, and I'm just not seeing it or giving it enough credit. You know, um, all the things that I just kind of to brushed aside, sure, you know, yeah, it, it's not it's not as if it's nothing to be right next to Belichick for that long, to be in that right. organization for that long. But again, you're not the guy. You're not in control. You don't have Tom Brady. And Matt Stafford's <laughs> a very good quarterback, but the gap between them is, is oh, very yeah. large. Well, he's paid his dues. He's put in his time in a first-class organization. But, yeah, it's put up or shut up time because yeah. we don't know how this is going to play out. And he could fall flat on his face. Yeah, Or he, he could. could be... I wouldn't say Sean McVay type or Doug Peterson, but he could be a nice coach, and we'll see what happens. And you never know. You don't. The last thing I want to talk to you about, Gunnar Lovig on the Money Mitch Effect, is a story that broke today. Josh McDaniel's not going to the Colts. There's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to digest here, and we won't yeah. really know what the answers are, but he was calling assistance this morning, basically from what we've heard, offering jobs, and within an hour, just says, no, I don't want this. They canceled the press conference. Why do you think? He didn't take the job. I think there's only two real reasons. Okay. Um, can you can you give me yours first? The only yeah, the only two reasons I would say he's not taking this job is the health of Andrew Luck, number one. Uh-huh. And the Patriots were then the number two reason is given that the Patriots pursued him hard last minute, the an un, unofficial dealing with Bill Belichick seeing the finish line. The the second thing is the only kind of conspiracy theory, if we're going to call it that, because it's yeah. not even really a conspiracy theory, but no. digging for an answer, because I don't know that there's much more of an answer to this that, you know, again, conspiracy theorists, they find something out, and then they want to figure out the back alley route of they how they got They want to connect there. the dots They want to connect all the dots, yeah. and, and they want to go, you know, take 27 left turns to get there, when really it was probably just a straight yeah. line, and it was right in take front of Take that Chris Paul tunnel on the there's Staples a, Center. Yes, there's a good <laughs> chance there was no more to this than he just, it just hit him, that do I really want to mm-hmm. leave the Patriots for this job? Now... He did obviously backstab a lot of his chances to get another head. That's coaching. the thing that's like I mean I get what, I get that that argument, but it is so hard <laughs> to it get is. a head coaching job in the NFL. And he's had a chance, didn't work out. Has been on a rehabilitation tour for a while, repaired his image better than any assistant that I can remember in a long time, and then decides no, I don't want this job. I, I do have to think I don't buy the Andrew Luck injury because I just really don't think that with with the month or so 
that we've known that he, that he was that he was going to take this job. That in the last 24 hours, what did he fly to India and see that Andrew Andrew Luck's <laughs> leg is chopped off? Like what 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 information did he pick? Did he call Andrew Luck and said, "Oh no, I'm not even close to being ready to play." What you know? Yeah. I, I'm not buying that he picked up a nugget of information about Andrew in Luck that he didn't have hours, before. Yeah. Why wouldn't the team let him know that information then? Why would they deliver it to him now? I'm not buying the Andrew Luck injury thing. I, I think there is a good chance that whether or not now, so he's pulling the rug out from, from under the Colts. Now, I, I wonder if Belichick and, and the Patriots are doing the same damn thing to <laughs> him be. and saying, hey, no, we need you back to run our offense. Belichick may we'll have said something money. along the lines of, I don't see doing this for more than two more years. Now, I don't think Belichick gave him a hard right. year because I don't see Belichick doing that. I don't see Belichick saying, I'm only coaching one more year, then it's yours. I don't see him doing that. Or even a hard two years. He could even a hard two, two years. years. He yeah. might have ballparked it. Yeah. And and maybe so I don't think he was given any kind of prompt because he he Jock McDaniels is not stupid enough to think <laughs> that you can promise someone a head coaching job a year or more from now on a team as prestigious and it's as the Patriots <laughs> and it's guaranteed. Yeah. Look at what you just did on a job that we thought was guaranteed. <laughs> don't think it can't happen to you. So, you know, there's there's a lot there's gonna be a lot of people kinda calling for karma here and I don't really blame them. I mean I feel a little bad no. for the Colts fans right now. I feel a little bad for the team because you know, I, I did think that could have been a really good hire. I, I think that his first run, although some things went muddy, when you look at the circumstances, I mean, he won a playoff game with Tim Tebow as his quarterback. He didn't do that bad. His his mistake, I thought, in the first job, and what is he, about 46, 47 years old? Tops, I would think. I don't know uh, exactly. He's not, yeah, he so he, young, could, so yeah. he could still, you know, he has a lot of coaching left in him. Um, the mistake, from what I remember, was dealing with Cutler was how he basically just ran him out of town where they were trying to get Matt Castle while he was on the team. He was kind of like not hiding it around. So I, I think he is a good coach. I think dealing with the roster in the head coaching role is a little different. But, you know, you mentioned karma, and I would have to agree with you there. It was kind of – he did pull the rug out from under Indianapolis. He had the job lined up. He had a press conference scheduled, and he said no. I think the pot was sweetened. Clearly they gave him more money. I mean, that's they, – they pursued him hard. They – Sweeten the contract, but I don't. Would you give up a head coaching job if you didn't at least have a preliminary discussion that says, "Hey, when Bill's done, this is going to be your job," even if you don't know when that time frame is? Uh, no, no I, I can't imagine that. And 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 the argument of it being, oh well, this isn't the best franchise he's going to coach. They're not that well run. It's an NFL head exactly. Coaching job. Like you take it, and if anything, that's a job where I would admit, look at how patient they just were with Chuck Pagano. Like you, you they're going to be patient with Josh McDaniel. You know, so I, 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 he would have had time there to build a, a, a good football town with a good fan base and one that doesn't necessarily expect glorious winning right away. He would have had some time to rebuild. They probably would have given him a lot of control. Terrible to say, but the luck injury buys him time, like knowing that. Yeah, they, exactly. Because yeah. really, that what else? That's the only thing going for that team. Right. You know, considering that Andrew Luck, you know. Even with Andrew Luck, that that's one of the worst uh, outside of the Browns rosters in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, uh, however, you know, if Andrew Luck is healthy, I still think that in, it, might, it might be a big if at this point. It seems like it's getting murkier and murkier uh, whether or not he can stay healthy. And I wouldn't even really be concerned about this year. It's just it seems like it's becoming more of a concern about the rest of his career. But if Andrew Luck can stay healthy, I, I still think he can be a top five, top three quarterback in the NFL. I think he can be an MVP type quarterback and Hall of Fame type quarterback. I think. 
we've seen that out of him, you know, and he his growth got hindered by all those injuries, and he was making a lot of progress, cutting down on the interceptions and stepping up in big moments. You know, he's a quarterback I'd love to have if he could stay healthy. It's just a shame that he hasn't been able to. I just don't – the timing is going to rub a lot of people, myself included. Like, if you wanted to be – work under – if you wanted to work under Belichick, work with Brady, and know that – your stock's still going to be high whenever you decide I want to pursue a head coaching job. Why not? Why even pursue head coaching jobs? Why dangle the carrots so far in front of the Colts up until the final moment? And wouldn't there have been a way to at least let them know, I'm not giving you any guarantees here? Yeah. You know, like, I, I'm not going to make a yeah. decision until after the season. Well, that's now, the classic thing is, to do. They probably would have moved on. Yeah. So, you know. There wasn't as much of a concern with that from the Lions just because the the relationship between Quinn and Patricia was so strong, you know. And um, I, I think that other people wanted Patricia, but I think I don't think he was a sought after. The Titans were going to hire McDaniel's on the spot too. That yeah. was the other thing that we all read. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but the Colts now it's like who do they turn to? The coaching searches are all done. I know. Are they going to call Chapagano back? <laughs> he's available. Bruce yeah. Arians, he's available too. Yeah, Let's get the yeah. dream team together. Again. Yeah, yeah. You, I wonder if they're t- giving uh, Chapagano the you up text. <laughs> Maybe I did see. I, I wish I could give credit to the tweet that I saw where it said. Feel really bad for uh, Jim Irsay for promising one thing and then doing another. It's <laughs> pretty good, yeah. and you know exactly. It's you don't even though Baltimore, I don't have sympathy because, for them either because you know. <laughs> yeah, they, they all do the same things, but it, it's crazy, man. I, I can't think of of. Uh, I'm trying to think of, of the last time something like this happened, and I don't remember it ever happening to this extent where the team went to the Super Bowl where we thought that it was done oh. that he was going to be a head coach. Belichick, uh, Belichick. <laughs> Parcells. Yeah, which was a while ago. And yeah. The documentary just yeah. came out, The Two Bills. Yes, it was fresh on my mind. I, I mean, fresh on my mind. I didn't really even remember that that happened. But, um, but and, and I saw some people throwing that out. Uh, and then again, another Twitter thing. I don't know who threw it out there. But, you know, uh, somebody saying, um, oh, I can't imagine that any coach would ever get another chance after this. And posting the, the picture of Bill Belichick at the Jets presser. So it's not as if he can't get another shot. And he will get another shot. That's the thing. It's, it, it, people... NFL, you know, NFL owners and management are too stubborn. They love retreads. And and people will think that, no, he's going to be more loyal to me. I had to talk with him. I looked him in the eyes. I could could see that loyalty. So, now, I mean, he will get another chance to coach, but it might not come this way. No one will will wait for him while his team makes a playoff run again. You know, it will have to be, uh, you come in, you sign the contract today, or we're going to hire somebody else tomorrow. That's going to be his next head coaching child. If... If it isn't a smooth passing of the torch in New England, yeah, well, and that's what I'm waiting to see him get just screwed, yeah, royally at the, at the end of the at the end of this uh, journey is when Belichick says, "No, we're gonna we're just gonna keep it going for." It's a year. it's hard to root for him, and this just makes it like harder to root for and like Belichick and the Patriots. It just who knows if this was some scheme that they've had all along. Uh, Kraft could still hate the Colts for uh, deflating. Which wasn't really their fault to begin with. <laughs> no. That was more of a John Harbaugh thing that they yeah. just kind of followed up on. Ryan Grigson doesn't even work there anymore. Like, like I don't like like it would be so like the Colt the, like the Patriots, like Kraft and Belichick to look at this team that's been at the bottom of the standings for several years and just think about a way they could screw you <laughs> over even more. So petty. So petty. <laughs> well, Gunnar Ludwig, before I let you go here on the Money Mitch effect. You're getting in the podcast realm now. I'm working on it. I got something yeah. launching soon. I don't want to say too much okay. because okay. you know I don't. But but I, I you know I will have something launching soon. So maybe okay. uh, maybe I can bring me back around when that happens. Yeah, for so. sure. I don't, we won't we won't reveal anything. But it's nice to know that you know 
it's another media that could suit you well and yeah get some takes out there and uh some some detroit some positive detroit sports moments hopefully i think we're due yeah, well, yeah. I, I th- well, I, you know, I think it's a long time. Ago. The the outlook isn't that positive for Detroit sports in general right now. But you know, Blake Griffin. I hey, mean, hey. Yeah, you know, I, Pistons undefeated since they've got him. Got him a little shot in the arm, four and zero. I don't know how much that means, but I, to me, not to sidetrack too much, but uh, I'm taking less positivity out of the four and zero and more out of the fact that just. Three games playing together, Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond have pretty great chemistry already. Yeah. That is the the sign that something good can come out of it. So we'll see. But you know, get them in the playoffs and see if they can make a run in the uh, in the ugly East right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd say that's the best. That's your best shot right now, given the state of the Tigers. Red Wings getting a little better, and we'll see with the Lions too. Yeah. It's a it's a state Lions of will, uh, Lions will be able to float in that mediocrity <laughs> realm for a while. They've done a great job. I, I yearn for mediocrity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Browns, I stay up at night. Yeah, you just want to be in a in a in a in a world where uh, your NFL matters in Week 13. I mean, we could <laughs> we could be six games better than last year and still have double digit losses. Yeah. So hey, think about that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gunnar Lovig, this was a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. This was fun. Thanks, Mitch. That's it for today's show. Big thanks to both Ryan Souls and Gunnar Ludwig for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. All episodes of the show can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play by just searching Money Mitch Effect. Yeah, we talked about McDaniels. There's going to be a lot that comes out in the next few days, so I hope you guys all read up on that, and I hope we're able to figure out what happened there. I do want to say quick thoughts and prayers to Chris Tass Porzingis, Torres ACL. The basketball guys have just been brutal this year. Uh, it's just not been good but thanks uh, again to everybody out there for listening that's the only show this week we're going to have a few next week got to get to some things got to address some things uh, in the winter sports game as well this was the Money Mitch Effect I am Mitch Michaels thanks to everybody for listening until next week keep watching and keep enjoying sports